All right, welcome in, everybody. Is another edition of the Catamount Chronicles. This is episode number nine. It's what I'm dubbing the first episode of season two, which is really month two of the Catamount Chronicles. We've got three sponsors this month, so thank you, everybody, for supporting all the sponsors in the last month. Two of them are repeats, the Strike Zone Academy in Essex Junction, just off Susie Wilson Road. I was in there the other day. You can check out my Facebook page, Brady Farkas Sports Radio Personality, uh, to get a full tour virtually of the facility. You get a free evaluation of your baseball skills by mentioning this podcast. It's the only place in the state of Vermont or northern New York, for that matter, to go over and grow your game and take it to the next level. They just celebrated their one-year anniversary, churning out college players. Now it's the place where you can grow again and grow your skills. Go and grow your skills. Also, Sobu Stretch Yoga and Meditation Studio off Shelburne Road in South Burlington. I just did my first virtual yoga class the other day. I tell you what, I've hardly ever done yoga before in my life. Even I could do it. They have beginner um, classes, more experienced classes. I've been to the facility in person, IDX Drive in South Burlington, just off Shelburne Road. Scott and Erica, they take great care of it following CDC guidelines. It's clean. It's fun. It's a good environment. Virtually, it was really easy to sign up with, pay, do, all of the above. It was great. And our newest sponsor of the podcast is Buffalo Wild Wings off Shelburne Road in South Burlington. UVM's own Aaron Miller, one of the owners and operators of Buffalo Wild Wings. So you're supporting a fellow catamount when you support Buffalo Wild Wings. They're available for pickup and delivery, 802-489-5083. And as the NFL season is now underway, perfect place to safely grab your friends and family and go watch some NFL football, college football back as well. Buffalo Wild Wings, always a good time. One of my favorites. I recommend the Mild Wings. Now, I want to go out to the line and bring in our guest today. It is Kelly Lennon. Kelly, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, I appreciate you joining us. Kelly just graduated a couple of years ago, all-conference swimmer in the America East part of the championship relay team for the UVM swim team. Uh, what are you up to now? Yeah, so I graduated in 2018 and took kind of a year to like hit the reset button. Um, kind of had this moment of like, oh, so now what? <laughs> um, and then which I think everyone has at some point, but took a year off, uh, kind of just worked a lot, got some experience. And now I'm actually in grad school at UNC Chapel Hill, getting my master's in sports administration, um, trying to be the next Chris Avello, Kathy Rahill, um, <laughs> that I can do. So I've been here. This is now the beginning of my second year. Um, we're working full-time and full-time internships this year in the department. We only have one class, so we just work full-time for the rest of the time. So yeah, it's been great. What's inspired you to want to stay in college athletics? Because I played Division Three baseball. I wanted to coach afterwards. I wanted to be in the athletic department. I couldn't leave college athletics. So what has made you want to stay in it? Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, I, I was just telling someone the other day, I went into college wanting to be an English teacher, a high school English teacher. And the more I got involved in the athletic department, the more I was kind of like, okay, I want to do this like yeah. forever. Um, and once I got involved in SAC and once Trey and I kind of started Rally, it kind of all pieces started to come together that I was really interested in working in this permanently. And people like Christy and Kat, uh, Krista and Kathy um, were both just super inspirational for me because they helped me a ton throughout my time and just did honestly so much for me and inspired me to keep doing it. Um, and also coaching too. I had a touch in that last year. I was a D2 assistant coach at Merrimack College um, and I had so much fun. I loved every second of it. It was such a good experience and such a good opportunity. And I, after that, that kind of confirmed for me, I definitely at least wanted to stay in college athletics. Um, not entirely 100% sure what the next step is, but um, just all like a culmination of all those things kind of led me to this point. 
Was it hard for you to walk away from the coaching and go more into the administrative side of thing? Because for me, it was very hard to be like 22 and not be on the field. It was hard for me to be out of college and not be on the field. Yeah, it was funny. I definitely have moments. Um, yeah. I, I think watching getting to be on deck and watching them be really successful and getting to kind of coach them through the year was almost the same for me as like being on the team. And also when you're 22, 23, coaching 21, 20 year olds, they don't really, I, I think there was like an aspect of the relationship there where they had a little bit more trust with me and we yeah. had a really good rapport because they knew that I was right out of college and I kind of got it. Um, but it was, there was also moments where I remember I got in with them once and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> it's all good. I'm done now. I'm definitely washed up, retired, you know, like I'm all set with the actual swimming part, but it was nice because it still felt like I had a team even after leaving my team. You know, for the most part in this podcast, the first eight episodes, I've had basketball players, hockey players, and former baseball players on. And all of them had at least some aspirations or officially did go and play professionally um, after their UVM careers ended. How is that different for you in a sport where unless it's the Olympics, there aren't, as far as I know, any professional opportunities really? Yeah, technically there's not. Um, I mean, if you do professional swimming, they now have a swim league, but if yeah. you're not, you're pretty much assuming that you're going to go to the Olympics or you have a really good shot at making it. Um, so that doesn't really exist, which is again, totally fine. By the time I was a senior, I was like, you're right. I'm good. My body was tired, but it's interesting just because it, I was telling other, someone else the other day that it's a little bit more definitive and you know, when it's over, there is no, like, maybe I'll go pro. Maybe I'll try to keep playing. It's kind of it after your senior championships, unless you really think you're like one or two in the country, you know, it's kind of over, um, which is good and bad. Cause I think when it ended, I was like, okay, now I know it's over, it's done, we're good here. But at the same time, it is really hard because even though I knew there was a set end date when it came, I kind of was like, oh, so it's just done now. So now I have to, and I remember I was calling my dad like a week later and this leads back to me having no idea what I was doing right out of um, like college, but calling my dad like a week later and I was like, so who am I? Like, what do I do? <laughs> Swimming. And he was like, we've been waiting for this moment. Yeah. <laughs> Your mom and I knew this was going to happen. So, thankfully I had a really good sports system, but it's definitely makes it a little bit easier to understand like the end is coming. Um, but it also, I think that doesn't necessarily always make the transition hundred percent easier. Does that put more pressure on you academically? You talked about taking a year off to kind of reset things. Does it put more pressure on you academically to figure it out quicker because you don't have that extra professional time to play with? Yeah, I guess a little bit. Um, I mean, for me, it was kind of once it ended, I felt like everyone around me either knew what they were going to do right after, had already applied to grad school and gotten in, had kind of figured out an internship. And so I think because I was so wrapped up senior year, especially during swim season with swimming and being captain and doing sack and doing rally and kind of just so busy doing other things that I kind of forgot that there was, you know, an end to college. Um and I, I did know that I wanted to get into sports, but I didn't know exactly how I was going to make that first step. So I think there was a little bit of pressure. I felt like after like February, so like March, April, May, where I kind of felt like I was rushing everything that everyone else had already been doing, um, which kind of definitely added a, a little bit of that time pressure. <laughs> you know, you're at North Carolina now and we're, we're all trying to figure out what's going on with coronavirus around the country, especially in bigger conferences. They try to figure out how to get ready for a football season or a basketball season um, or winter sports season. What's the scene like at UNC? Because we had heard a couple of weeks ago, classes being shut down. It was crazy there for a while. Yeah. 
Honestly, and it's it's hard because I was really surprised um, just because if you drive around, everyone I saw always was wearing masks. And I think it is really hard to ask college kids, you know, to always comply with the rules um, in normal settings. So yeah. I think I was a little I was actually impressed like the first two weeks. I was like, all right, maybe we can actually pull this off and do this. Um, and then the first numbers came out and things started to look a little dismal, uh, which was frustrating for sure. So. It was a little, I think, surprising to everyone that they kind of made the decision right away to send the undergrads home and go virtual. It didn't really affect us at all because I had so many people texting me and asking, like, are you coming home? And I was yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not coming home. I work full time. And they still let graduate classes meet in person. And my cohort is only 10 people. So, yeah. um, but it's definitely improved since then. I will say I've seen a lot of improvements. I was, majority of undergrads have left, but plenty of them because if they don't live on campus, like they have leases have stayed and things have definitely gotten a lot better in the last two weeks. And I think after that initial shock, people kind of started to see that it was a little bit more serious than maybe they were taking it. And yeah. started to see a lot of improvements um, in the athletic department too. I mean, we have our first, you know, knock on wood, I keep saying I'll wait until the ball gets kicked, <laughs> but we have our first football game on Saturday and um, they've been doing great with like having, keeping the positive tests down. So it's been good. What is your ultimate goal, you think? You said you had to figure it out a little bit, but in the athletic department, there's so many different offshoots of it. Like as you go through and you're kind of going through the process, what are you leaning towards now? What appeals to you? Yeah, so I definitely have, uh, like my main passion is student-athlete mental health, um, kind of coming off of rally, and also it's just student-athlete development in general. And I think that comes from my sense of feeling like I had really good support at Vermont, I was meeting like after some season ended with um, Krista and Kathy, you know, like once a week and the coach was helping me a ton. And so having people who were supporting me through that transition and helping me figure out what my next step was and how can we help you to get there definitely inspired me a lot that I want to be that person for other people. Um, I just don't want anyone to come to the end of their season senior year and have that feeling gut feeling of like, I have no idea who I am without this and I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. Um, so I definitely have a lot of passion for student athlete development in general, just leadership development and career development and helping them kind of figure out what, you know, what their passion is and what fuels them and what keeps them going so that when they come to the end of their time, they know. Um, and it kind of, I think that goes hand in hand with mental health, um, just figuring out how we can best support student athletes, especially right now, like in a time where they're kind of removed. I mean, not our athletes, but a lot of athletes are removed from their sport or might be losing a season or might've already lost a season and figuring out the best ways to kind of support that, gap that they're definitely going to be feeling if they don't have that. So that's where I'm leaning. Um, yeah. I would not be opposed to coaching again. I loved it. Uh, I would definitely only coach. There's like, you know, I wouldn't take any random coaching job, but there's <laughs> jobs that I would absolutely take. Um, and if I could somehow figure out, you know, then then work my way up into administration, I would love to do that. You mentioned rally. So you're referring to rally around mental health, which is the initiative started by UVM athletics and you and Trey Bell Haynes, the old you know, former basketball player, were kind of at the crux of that, at least as far as I know, where did that initiative come from? Why was that something important to, to the both of you? Yeah. So when we were freshmen, I think, or soft, no sophomores, we had a presentation from hope happens here, which is kind of the mental health initiative that St. Michael's college. Yeah. And they've kind of branched out to other schools now as well. And, it just kind of occurred to the both of us that we didn't have anything like that. I mean, people, we, if we wanted support, we could have it. And that was awesome. But we knew that, you know, our sports psychology at, this, at the time, Sheila was so stretched so thin because there was some, there was such a high need and demand and she was only part-time. And I think that kind of struck a chord with us and we decided we had to do something about this. And so we talked about it at the end of sophomore year and then junior year rolled around. And I remember 
Trey texting me at, like in October ish. And he was like, so when are we going to get this thing going? Um, yeah. And we just kind of took it from there. And it took a lot of time. We met with a lot of different people. We talked to people at Michigan. We talked to people at a lot of different schools, people from Living Well, Annie Valentine helped us a ton. Um, and just as many stakeholders as we could, took some surveys in the athletic department, figured out what athletes wanted. And that took a couple months. Um, and I think we thought it was going to be a lot faster than it was. Yeah. And it took a lot more time than we thought it was going to. But we did kind of like the due diligence of the research because what our original idea was, we actually found out like student athletes had no interest in. So <laughs> we kind of switched it around because we were thinking like, oh, maybe we could do small groups. That would be really cool. And that was I didn't really take off with people. So then we found out, OK, what do they want? And rolled with that and turned it into what it is now. And I mean, they've made it even better now than I could have ever imagined it to be. So without giving names, obviously, did you notice a lot of people taking advantage of the program once it got put into place or being of a service to people? Yeah. And I've had people, you know, individually message me on Facebook uh, and kind of say like, thank you for everything you guys did because I never would have talked about this and it's meant a lot to me. And I've seen a lot of change and even in my team being able to talk about it more casually than they were before and not feeling like it was a stigma. Um, and I've had people, athletes from other America East schools, um, just because of how everything kind of snowballed there. I've had like other people message me and say, you know, I think a lot of the work you did was really, really important and like a huge jumping off point, which I mean, I don't take all the credit for it. It was me and Trey and a million other people who helped us. And it's honestly just nice to see that it meant it, even if one person benefited positively from it, that's kind of all we were looking for. So it means a lot that people have definitely taken advantage of it. And it also means a lot to see even now that they're still doing it and it's yeah. got taken over. And last year, like Trey and I getting interviewed by them doing a podcast. And I was like, it's just crazy to see how, like how big they've made it and how it, it's still kind of exists and lives and breathes today. So, cause that's, I think more than we, either of us ever imagined it being. You know, it's, it's understandable that you and Trey, your friends might immediately support it because of the idea that they're your friends, but to see it grow and to see the reception, I think that's pretty cool and a pretty good testament because we as athletes are often taught to just be tough, be mentally tough, and to block out outside noise. And I think you guys have helped, at least at UVM and around the America East, to kind of break down, as you said, that stigma. Yeah, and it's it that was huge. And we're grateful definitely for our teams kind of jumping onto it just because I mean, for me, obviously, I'm in, you know, a sport that doesn't have as much attention and I'm not Trey Bell Haynes. And I always use that line and he hates it. But <laughs> and so like having him as a partner was huge in that just because I think it did help us a ton. And I mean, I love the basketball guys. I still to this day love the basketball guys. I'm still close with a good amount of them. And I'm really grateful that they kind of latched to that idea as well, because I mean, they're huge in Burlington and in Vermont in general, and people look at them as role models. And so having them kind of come into the scene and, you know, so quickly support it and be vocal about it was like amazing and awesome. And my team as well, obviously, like my friends and everyone on my team and people in SAC um, just kind of were so quick to like back the idea. What brought you to UVM in the first place? You're from New England. You're from Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. But what brought you to UVM in the first place? Yeah, so... Coming out of high school, um, I was not very, I was very average swimming until I still consider myself very average swimming until um, probably like my sophomore or junior year. And that's when people start talking about recruiting. And I felt like even in high school, I felt really behind in recruiting. Um, and the places that I wanted to go, I reflect on now, I think is so funny because I was nowhere near talented enough to go there. Um, but my high school, Stanford, I'll take Stanford. Yeah, <laughs> this, like, but it's, 
he would have sent a letter to anywhere if I asked him to. And actually hit my high school coach's wife swam for Jerry in his first year. Um, mm -hmm. And he was the first person to kind of put Vermont in my ear. I was looking at pretty much all the New England state schools. I got recruited by UMass, URI, um, UNH. Uh, I looked at BC. So trying to say, I wanted to, my parents to be able to come to as many meets as they could, just because that support system has meant a lot to me in the past. And I know it was meant a lot to my mom to be able to get to as many meets as she could, and she never missed one. So, um, and it was kind of, you know, New England schools. And then it really came down to UBM and URI. Coach will tell you it came down to UVM and UNH. It did not. Um, <laughs> but it it honestly was just it had nothing to do with money, really. And I mean, I'm lucky enough to have gotten offered a scholarship, but it was more just the vibe that I got from Coach. And he, I still have my the voicemail from him offering me a scholarship, which is crazy wow. on the phone to this day. And I remember now, like my phone used to ring and it would say like Coach Canoyer, and I'd be like my mom, I look at my mom and be like, "Do not pick it up," <laughs> and she. <laughs> have to talk to this fan and I'm like don't pick it up um, because it was such a stressful process but I'm really glad I chose it uh it was just kind of the overall vibe um Jerry obviously is such a like a wonderful human being um I still to this day talk to him in, like a ton and I felt like at home in the campus and the team was super friendly um the weather could have done without but not that it's that much different from Massachusetts but definitely a lot windier but it kind of just came down to like a gut feeling um, when I was sitting at the table with my parents, like making the final decision. It was like, all right, UVM or URI. My, my high school coach was on the phone and I was like, I think I'm going to go to UVM. Um, and it, it just, it, I have no regrets. I never looked back. So, As somebody who now sees the other side and sees athletic department administration um, and all that goes into it, how did the athletic department grow in your four, four years there? Wow, uh, a ton. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I feel like it's really interesting, especially because freshman year, I wasn't super involved. So being kind of a passive observer to being more of an active observer. But I definitely think um, once Jeff came in, and he had so many new and fresh ideas, and he was so excited about and really worked really hard to make all those things happen, like new facility, um, and trying and like rally around mental health, he did that for us, which we didn't even think was possible. Um, it's just, I feel like things are being made more of a priority. Um, there's definitely been a shift in kind of supporting all teams. I feel like when I was um, coming in, it was, you know, really heavy hockey and basketball. But I feel now like there's a ton of support for all teams. Um, seeing even the culture within athletics change has been cool because freshman year, I didn't really know any other athletes. I wasn't super like social in the athletic department. So getting into SAC and then starting to meet people. And when we kind of started the Catamount challenge where, you know, we had team versus team, then you have people showing up to each other's games, people being friends with people they didn't weren't really friends with before. Um, and I thought that was so cool to see um, just even like the culture shift and the within was just awesome. Um, and have feeling like every team wanted to support every other team was amazing. And I still feel that way now. Yeah, I think that's pretty impressive. And I ask this question a lot of people who play in non-revenue sports. Um, so I, like I said, I played baseball in college and we, my school was so heavy into hockey. I resented those guys. I was like, they have everything that I want. They have the exposure. Their games are on TV. They get the fans there. They get all the cool gear. Uniforms come quicker for them, better equipment. And now I look back and I'm like, I wish I hadn't done that because I missed out on everything else that everyone on campus was doing, but just by rooting against those guys in a lot of ways. I'm impressed to hear at UVM, and I hear that from every every department, every program at UVM, that there really is a bond, and I think that's pretty cool. 
it, and it definitely kind of has been, I feel like every year, like stronger and stronger. And even seeing the new, um, like the Catamount connection with the hockey team interviewing other members of the team, like yeah. stuff like that, I feel like never would have existed. I also feel like student athletes have been given a lot more of a voice. Um, like Trey and I, and that was awesome. And we're super grateful that we were heard and we got to use kind of that platform to be vocal about mental health. But even um, what they're doing now with the Athletics Ex Inclusive Excellence Committee and all that kind of stuff and seeing all the changes that they've been trying to make, I feel like athletes have just gotten more of a voice, which has been really, really awesome. Um, and I give major credit to Jeff for that. As someone who wants to be in the athletic administration, how do you champion the non-revenue sports? Like, how do you help sports like your own get more exposure so that it's not singular, you know, that fans aren't singularly focused on one or two sports at a school? Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you, it's hard. And I know yeah. that. And I know that coming from a non-revenue sport, I have no qualms about that. I mean, swimming especially is like, you know, once every four years, people think it's really, really cool. Michael Phelps, <laughs> Lecky, and it's awesome. But um, I think it's just about giving them kind of a voice. And I, I see that a lot here at Chapel Hill, especially because a lot of our non-revenue sports are more successful possibly than sometimes our revenue sports. Um, mm -hmm. Like our women's soccer team has won 22 national championships, which is insane. Um, our women's lacrosse team also has won, um, I think, two or three national championships, but been in the final four or like the championship game dozens of times. Um, and I think they really work to promote those sports um, on like social channels and making sure they're kind of advocating for fans of those games and doing giveaways at those games and just reminding people how successful our non-revenue sports are here. I think has really gotten people invested in it. Like a women's soccer game here sells out, which is yeah. crazy. Um, and I would love to see that kind of support happen at other places. And I, not just when, when teams, you know, are winning national championships, obviously that's super cool, but I think reminding people that, you know, those student athletes are just as talented as any other student athlete. And I think some of the non-revenue sports at Vermont are super successful quietly and people don't always necessarily notice it, but just making sure you're promoting um, all teams and kind of making the effort to communicate that we don't just have basketball and hockey. We have all these amazing other sports that are just absolutely crushing it um, and giving people like me and others a voice to just kind of use. Um, and people I think started noticing swimming maybe a little bit more when I was there um, and, you know, having kind of a voice with, along with Trey, I got, recognized a couple of times and you know like that's weird for me I'm like people don't know who I am <laughs> so I still am confused when people know who I am so it's um just about giving people the voice and making sure that you're promoting it just as much as you're promoting your revenue sports I've seen baseball get cut in athletic departments over the last few months I've seen swimming I've seen I think cross-country track you know some of these other non-revenue sports get cut how scary is it for someone like you just to see the landscape of college athletics and what's happening because of the virus and budgeting and all, et cetera. Yeah. And I think it's, it's harder now being on the other side and not being a student athlete anymore. Cause right. if I'm a student athlete, I definitely be a lot more scared. Um, and I'm still, I still am scared and I, you know, I trust Jeff fully and fully and I, but I also would never want to be in his shoes because um, the current landscape is is crazy and the budget deficit. I mean, North Carolina announced a couple of weeks ago or days ago that we're going to be in a 30 to 50 million deficit probably next year, um, right. assuming that we don't have fans for the entire season. So it's just it's hard. And I know that those decisions aren't easy. Um, obviously, I have personal bias against cutting some teams just because I think you already have the pool and you have to maintain it anyway. So you might as well keep them. Yeah. But, and there are other good ways to generate revenue that don't involve just necessarily ticketing sports. Um, and 
So it's scary, but I also understand that there's always hard decisions to be made. I think that schools, a lot of these schools that did cut them could have gotten a little bit more creative in their solutions before cutting a sport. Um, I know here it's kind of the last thing he would ever want to do. And I know same at Vermont and Jeff, we had the Zoom with Coach Jerry the other day and um, a lot of the alumni and stuff, and he has no intention. So I feel good about that. But I also know that at the end of the day, you know, you have to kind of you have to have a bottom line. So it's it's hard. Um, I just think it's about finding creative solutions. Um, and like here, for instance, we're not furloughing anyone full like fully. We've everyone's getting furloughed for 15 days. So it's like everyone's kind of taking an even hit to it um, and things like that, where you're just being a little bit more creative and budget cutting, um, maybe scholarship cutting before you kind of make the big decision to just fully get rid of the team. A couple, they're not, I wouldn't call them rapid fire, but a couple more quick hitter questions before I get you out of here. How do you choose your swimming discipline? Because everything I read about you was freestyle, freestyle, freestyle. <laughs> How do you choose when you're like, okay, I'm eight years old. I'm going to only do freestyle and that's it. Or does it get picked for you? How does that happen? You don't. Okay. <laughs> it, it chooses you. Um, never in a million years would I have chose to be a distance swimmer. I don't think anyone would choose to be a distance swimmer. It is really mentally taxing. <laughs> um, but when I was in high school, I remember I was trying so hard to be a hundred butterfly and ever in my coach, my high school coach, my parents and like it was were like my club coach were like, you are not a hundred butterfly you are not a sprinter. You don't have a fast twitch muscle fiber in your body. You weren't meant to do it. So it definitely chooses you. I have to be honest with you. I have no idea really how that happens. It just kind of naturally comes out as like when you're younger, you swim everything. And I remember my dad one time was like, I thought you were going to be a backstroker, which is hysterical because I couldn't even imagine that. But I, the more I just started swimming distance events, the times were dropping quicker than everything else. And I remember when I came to college, I came in as a 200 freestyler, a 500 freestyler and a 200 butterflyer. And Jerry was like, that's great, but we don't need butterflyers. We have enough 200 butterflyers. And he was like, so you're going to swim the mile. And I was like, okay, I swam the mile like three times in my life. I don't think I'm very good at it. And I don't really enjoy it that much, but I was, I would do anything he asked. So I did. Um, and it definitely picks you. You do not get to pick it as much as you try. <laughs> Swimming is a team sport. You obviously get points as a team. You were part of a relay, which is a team. But by and large, similar to running, I think of swimming as a relatively solitary sport. So, like, how hard is it to be part of a team while also competing as just you in a lot of things that you do? Yeah, I think it's interesting because a lot of it is you versus a clock, you versus time, you versus yourself. Um, obviously, you're trying to win a race and you're you're trying to get points, but it is really like self-discipline about like motivating you and trying to be the best version of you. I think it starts to be more, you start to think of it more as a team when you get to those moments in a meet where like I've had, I remember I could count on my hand the amount of times Jerry would come up to me and be like, if you we need you to win this race because we need points. <laughs> and like, there was no other option. Like he was like, you have to win. That's it. Um, and so things like that, where it starts to become a little bit more important for you to score points for the team. And I think not, you know, trying not to have pity parties when like, maybe you don't do well, but you help the team out. And just remembering that at the end of the day, there's a score on the board and we're trying to win a meet. So just putting everyone else in front of yourself. And even if you think you had a bad race coming out and being able to kind of circle back and remember what the bigger goal is. 
you know, there's there's all kinds of sports where positional groups are separated, like pitchers and position players are different in baseball and goalies and, you know, non-goalies in hockey. What's the relationship like between the swimmers and the divers? <laughs> um, I mean, it's hard and I feel bad because I don't think diving gets enough credit. And there have been a million meets where they won the meet for us and we would not have won if their points hadn't happened. And they're also so talented and I can't even process like doing that. So I, it's hard because we're so separated in terms of practice because almost 90% of the time, unless someone's practicing late, we don't get to interact with them. Um, but I would say at the end of the day, we also know that they are like so crucial to our team and have been the winning factor in so many times um, that it's, it's all cohesive, but it's obviously hard when there is that separation. And that definitely got expressed a couple of times when I was there that they felt like there was like kind of just like a big separation. So just making sure like socially and I'm like divers living with swimmers and seeing each other outside of that, even though it's hard when you have separate practice time. So like we're going to dinner when they're at practice and vice versa. Um, but I think at the end of the day, and I hope at the end of the day that they know that they are the glue of the team. So when you tell someone you were a college swimmer, what's the first thing that gets asked to you? Um, I would say like 60% of the time someone asks if I want to race which yeah. is hysterical. Um, and the other 40% of the time, people are like, wow, that's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know. I agree. <laughs> I would ask you how hard it is to do a flip turn. That's what I would ask you. Um, if you don't know how to do one, it's definitely pretty difficult because yeah. I've seen many people try. And yeah. it's not always pretty. But <laughs> I think anyone who can do like a flip in a pool would be fine. But yeah, asking, getting asked to race happens a lot. More than I <laughs> When you're doing a distance race, what are you thinking about? That's my favorite question. Because um, <laughs> I always say, I try to really tune out, especially in the mile. I used to have, so when in the mile, like someone counts for you and it starts at one and does all the odd numbers with like one, three, all the way up to 66. Oh. And I had to stop looking at that because I would just be thinking about like, I would see the one and I'd be like, Oh my God, I have to get to 66. That's crazy. <laughs> and so I started putting only the nines in, but I remember one day I was thinking about what everyone else was thinking about. I was like, I wonder what other people think about during the race. Like, is everyone else as tired as I am? Did I go out too fast? Yeah. Am I behind? Am I ahead? Yeah. What is How is everyone else doing? Does it hurt for anyone else or is it just me? <laughs> but that's pretty much it. And I like when people start cheering in the mile, especially, and they're yelling like, go, go. I'm like, believe me, if I could go faster, yeah. I absolutely would go faster. <laughs> There's no question about that. Get you out of here on two more. Maybe it's different in Massachusetts where you grew up, or I grew up in New York, and swimming was a winter sport. How did you play swimming and basketball in the same in, – in New York, that would be the same season. I don't think someone could do it. Is it the same season for you? No. So it's okay. a fall sport in Massachusetts, and I only played basketball in high school for a year, and it was because my mom played college basketball, and the varsity coach was our neighbor, and she cornered <laughs> me and was like – you need to try out for the team. And I was like, I have no interest in playing basketball. And she was like, you need to try out for the team. And so I played freshman year and then I would have to go to basketball practice, leave, go to swim practice, and then go home and still like do homework and be yeah. a high school student. So that was very short lived because the double seasons is not fun, <laughs> especially when it's swim season and swim season, which is always so. All right. My favorite question, and you're a good person to ask because you're fresh out of college. Um, favorite place to eat around UVM. It doesn't have to be right in Burlington, but favorite place to eat around town. 
Okay, so I saw you ask someone else this, and I was like, I have to think about this because it's a random <laughs> question. My favorite place to eat in the summer is Spot on the Dock, and I hope that's everyone's answer in the summer because it is the best. The vibes are immaculate, music always on the water, and it's beautiful, and the food is fantastic. I would say the other non-summer times, it's probably Elgato or um, Sweetwaters. Okay, uh, Elgato. I live. My girlfriend and I live in Essex, so uh, there's an Elgato over here, so I can vouch for Elgato as well. Five dollar margarita Wednesday. Yeah, <laughs> so, there you go, Kelly Lennon. Kelly, I appreciate it. Appreciate all the work you've done. Rally around mental health. Appreciate uh, you coming on, and good luck to everything you're doing over at UNC. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.